on, Brody? What's going on, my guy? Man, out here, man, 100 degree weather today. Um, my little brother surprised me, man. Poppin' town. I don't know why this fool ain't called me, man. Yeah. They call itself trying to um, be at my bedside tomorrow for my surgery on the ulcer. Okay. Now, now, look, this is the thing. I rescheduled the ulcer. I rescheduled it because I have all this pre-production. But leading up to the day I was going, so I based my whole day around making sure I was ready for tomorrow. They told me not to eat, all of that, because they looking inside my stomach with a camera. Right. And I started getting the anxiety. I think we talked about that before. I started getting the anxiety. I started feeling frustrated. All of my business affairs is like out of order. I was supposed to make some moves today. I got to fly to Chicago mm. to rectify something with the Secretary of State. So I got to leave here. It's just a long story, bro, but I'm good now. My little brother said he pulled into the Paris Hotel. So after this, I'm a link with him. But it's an honor to be here, bro. No, it's, it's, I appreciate it, and it's an honor for you to uh, do the interview with me. I appreciate you lending me your time. Well, I just want to, uh, yeah, you know, okay, yeah, definitely. Oh, you know what? So I see, um, can we, okay, cool. We good, right? What's up? Okay, I, I see. No, I just want to send a shout-out, man, to YBE Clothing, my man Tune. You know what I mean? It's an amazing shout-out. Brother sent me two nice shirts. Yes, I said sir. I'm going to flick it up, man. I wasn't feeling like, you know, um, I've been, he been waiting on these photos okay. for me to take some pictures. So I always try to support those that support me. So shout out to YBE Tune. Yes, sir. Out. Yes, sir. Got young black entrepreneurs in the yes, building. Sir. Salute to yes, Tom sir. and the whole crew and everybody that's behind there, the whole organization that he got going on, shirts and uh, the youth mentorship and everything else that he's doing within the city. Um, God bless him and everything that he got on too. So got going on, I should say. Word, word. Long yeah. time no see, brother. I know, I know, man. Um, you've been making a lot of moves. You've been dealing with a lot of things. So, uh, you, you know me. I, I stay, I stay, I move around through the shadows, and, and I, I know what I know, and I don't know nothing. So, even though I'm <laughs> busy, do I stay, a busy man? I stay out your way and let you do your thing until the time. Word. You know. So, this is one of the ways to kind of reschedule some time and, and vibe and get some energy and and speak some words that's an inspiration into one another. You know. Word, man, I, and I just appreciate you. Uh, you know, anything you got going on, I don't care what it is. I'm a boy. I'm like, I'm on that. I'm on that with you, bro. Oh, man, I appreciate that. I appreciate. Yes, sir. That. I appreciate that. So, talk to me, man. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up on 49th and State Street in Chicago, the low end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 49th Robert Taylor Projects. Um, my grandmother was a part of that great migration from the South. You know, we got redlined. Okay. You know what I mean? We got redlined and um, we was placed in that community. By the way, Chicago, one of the most segregated cities in the United States of America. You know what I mean? So um, came up through the ranks of, um, I think I'm uh, considered what, third generation in Chicago from the South, you know, from Mississippi, okay, Lexington, and um, Beethoven Elementary School, DuSable High School, Dunbar High School, CVS High School. I went to all three, man. Okay, I was I was you a know. member of the V. I went to the V. Oh yeah, so you know I'm red and black and blue and gold. <laughs> it, is what it is, you know. Yeah, word, word. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes sir. So, um, your mother, your grandmother was a one was the first one to come up this way. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Granny came. Yeah, Granny came when she was like 16, 17, man. Okay. Uh, okay. With hundreds and hun with thousands of others. Thousands Did you of ever others. Tell you that story of, of what, what happened? The migration? Um, from, from my understanding, she, um, you know, her mother died when she was like one. Okay. So she was raised by, you know, a family, extended family. And um, I heard that Granny ran away from the South, man. You know, there was a lot of opportunity up here. They had the steel mills and all that stuff going on, I guess, back in that time. And I heard that she ran and fled from the South and ended up here. Well, not here. I'm in Vegas, but in Chicago. And it was a struggle, man. Lack of education, lack of money. I'm actually writing a whole 13-episode series right now about a life, man. It is, it is, oh, my God. Okay. It's the most gripping thing I ever wrote. I, I said when I buried her in 2016 that... I have to serve her legacy some justice by writing the film for her. And I'm not even trying to produce it. I'm going to shop it to maybe a Tyler Perry or Oprah. Uh, but if they ain't talking my money <laughs> or they ain't trying to plug me in the right way, then we'll produce it independently at Speak TV. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a long story behind Grams, man. But she raised me and my brothers, you know, three generations of kids. And how many, how many brothers and sisters do, do you have? I got uh, two brothers, um, T and uh, Kareem, and then I have, uh, on my dad's side, I got uh, two sisters. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. So growing up, you, you said you went to the V, DuSabo. I, you know, I went to the V for three days, man. We had a football game at Gately Stadium, uh, CBS against Dunbar, and uh, the brothers, the brothers, man, approached me on 103rd, man. I had a uh, Orlando Magic hat on and a Charlotte Hornets jacket. I guess I had too much blue on. I don't know, man. It came up to me, slapped my head off my head. I was about 75, 80 pounds then. I was about four feet, 10. Yeah. And uh, scared the man, bro. You know what I mean? My grandmother got me up out of there that Monday. I was at Dunbar. Yeah. Yeah. So I lasted three days, man. I lasted three days at CVS. It was a – man, that's a big – it was huge, man. It was a long way from elementary school. And plus me going to school on the low end and going all the way on 87 to school over east, man. That was just... It was a man, lot. That was different. That was a different was a experience lot. right there, yeah. You know, the crazy part is it was only a certain crowd of people that will follow you that way. You know what I mean? Because they know when they got yeah. to a certain area, they, it was time to back off. You know yeah, I mean? word. They yes, sir. Real gully, real gully dudes that was down to, you know, follow you that way, you know? Yes, sir. Yeah. Fact, because I had the Orlando Magic uh, starter jacket on. All <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they caught me with that jacket on. And, and you know, they ain't, they ain't jumped me. You know, I think they knew the time. But what they did was they took a black marker and they wrote a permanent uh, ink on the back of the jacket for the magic and they put what it stood for to them. So they were murdering all gangsters in Chicago. Damn, and I never knew that until now. Yeah. It all makes sense now. That's why yeah. they came at me like that. Yeah. That's yeah, they why they playing. came at me like that. They weren't And playing. my partner yeah. was with me, man. When they came across the street like 50 deep, my homie just stepped to the side like he wasn't even with me, man. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> And he was the reason I went to CVS. I went to CVS trying to follow that fool. Yeah, it's it, it, them, them ass whoopings was abundant when you was like in the wrong area, you know, back then. You know, that all that stuff was real for certain. Uh, be so. 
yeah, for certain people growing up. So I had that going on. And then when I got back to where I was originally going to on, uh, around the house, uh, they weren't too happy when they saw my coat. You know what I mean? So they were like, yo, why would you do that? I'm like, do what? Because I don't know what they did. Like, they just took my coat off me. They took the marker. They did whatever they did. They just they put the coat back on me and pushed me on, told me to get, get the fuck on the body there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. That was real gangbanging gang days. Yeah, that was a gangbanging day. So when I got back yeah. to where I was going, they was like, what is this right here? I'm like, what's, what you talking about? And they took the coat off. I was like, yo, I got jumped. You know what I'm saying? These guys, like, they took my coat and everything. They had, they was holding me and everything. And and I told them the situation. And they, they kind of backed off. But, you know what I'm saying? I had to go get another coat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I had, oh, yeah, yeah. It probably wasn't magic. Was it a magic again? <laughs> no, I, mean, I came back with a uh, – this was before people was even up on Columbia. The Columbia coat. Okay. I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, I think I think I had another. I had a uh, I had a blue Detroit Lions. You did. Oh, word! I went and got a Detroit yeah. Lions uh, 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 re uh, reversible. The reversible. Anything star. blue, you was asking for trouble back then. Yeah, man. It, 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 it was what it was. But you know, to a certain degree, you know, for me, it wasn't necessarily about as far as they was going with it until they took it that far. You know what I mean? But word, word up. Older as I got older. You know, shit, shit happens, and you just deal with it. You just learn to deal with it. Like, well, if if, if this is if this is what it's gonna be, then this is what it's gonna be. So you Word. just have to the climate. Um, yes, sir. Yeah. So that that was part of the shenanigans of, of going to the V. Um, I think about my sophomore year, a lot of that stuff kind of just it wasn't even that bad. My freshman year, it was just that I didn't understand what that was because I had never, mm -hmm. I never knew what what the red and black was. You understand what I'm saying? I feel yeah. At yeah, that I time, didn't I would even know it because everywhere I had, yeah. everywhere I grew yeah. up, everybody wore blue. You know what I mean? So I didn't know. Yeah. I thought the handshake was cool when I when I saw it. I ain't even <laughs> right. Was yeah, and definitely for me during that time, I was fresh off of uh, Bruce's place the series with Oprah. Man, I was a kid, so I was still yeah. a child actor during the time. And I hit my freshman year. That's when I knew Chicago was real. I mean, I knew it was rough in the projects, but uh, to venture out, I really got a chance to see what that, what that Blackstone and that Vice Lord life was yeah. like. You know, it's a, a whole different thing, man. You're like, yo, what are they? I'm like, that's cool, but it was a whole different dynamic to all that, the all the eyes and everything. So, yeah. So, how did you get into acting? That you know what? I, I was. Uh, that's a good question. I was uh, when I was going to Beethoven Elementary School, of course. At that time, Robert Taylor Projects was considered the most impoverished community in America. And um, so they had these people, you know, white folks that were going around to these different public schools and they were looking to help underprivileged kids to be acquainted with the arts, the performing arts. And during that time, I was a class clown, man. I like to Im imitate and do renditions of uh, Eddie Murphy and do renditions of uh, uh, Jamaicans and whatever I saw on TV, I mimicked. Okay. So when those white folks came and they was looking for people to perform, you know, that's what I did in class anyway. So I stuck out like a sore thumb and they, they grabbed a hold of me. They um, enrolled, enrolled me and like six of my classmates into this whirlwind performance company that was out of Roosevelt University downtown. Okay. And we, during that time, I was rapping on the L trains and stuff. So we prepared for this big show. And um, we were going every Saturday. We prepared for this big show. 
And once we did the show at the Art Institute, I performed this uh, rap song that I did with Freddie Rodriguez. Freddie Rodriguez is uh, one of the biggest Latino actors in Hollywood. He actually did Dead Presidents and a few other films, uh, Poison, just a gang of movies. And um, we were rap partners. So I did my thing, he did his thing. And I looked out in the crowd and I did not see a parent for me there. My mother wasn't there, my father wasn't there. And I'm looking at all of these kids running up to their parents after the show. And I'm just looking like, you know, I'm the kid from the projects, remember? And I'm just like, man, like, where's my parents? Yeah. And I'll never forget this day, it was raining like crazy. Me, my brothers and my best friend Aziz, we left. And we were walking to State Street to get on that bus. And it was raining, pouring rain, and I said, no, I just can't leave. My mother told me she was coming. And I took my brother and my best friend, and we went back in the Art Institute. And as soon as I went back in there, this casting director named Sherry Mann grabbed a hold of me. And she was like, I have been looking all over for you. Where did you go? She's like, oh, my God, I got so much work for you. You're so talented. Gave me her business card, told me to tell my parents to call her. And I went home. I was excited. I gave it to my grandmother. My grandmother passed it to my mom and dad, and they called me downtown for um, an interview. The interview led to audition. I ended up with a, um, a talent agency named David and Lee, and after that, I started uh, going on auditions. And uh, my first audition was for a Wonder Bread commercial, and I slammed it. I landed it. Yeah, from there, I auditioned for this Whoopi Goldberg film, The Long Walk Home. They called me back nine times for that, and I didn't get the role. They gave it to my best friend, Jason Weaver. You know, he's from Chicago as well. He landed that role. Singer and actor. Yeah, yeah, me and Jason was going toe to toe for roles back then. Like, if I was on an audition for the same role he was, you know what I mean? So that's how we got acquainted and, and kind of close. But yeah, that's where it started, man. Shout out to Whirlwind Performance Company. Yeah, and, and you knew from that point on, this, is, this, is, this, was a, this was a time for you. Yeah, I'm sorry, brother. I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, boom, I'm, I'm here. Okay, you sorry. Answering messages, man? No, I wasn't. I, I was actually trying to get a snapshot of what was going on to, as far as like the little personal video, but it didn't, I don't think it even took. So okay. I'm going to be hitting you up, man, for um, a little segment, if you don't mind. Oh, no, that's all, it's all love. It's all yeah, love. we got to I, I, I told you anytime media. you need me, I told you anytime you need me, just reach out, man. I'm yeah, all, man. I definitely would like to plug this on the social media platform. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a do that, but I, I want to make sure I got the body of work together before I start. Okay, yeah, the handle your business, handle your business. I'm sorry, don't, yeah. don't, 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 I don't want to. I, I know it. how it is when. I, hey, look, I know how it is. I have this thing on my set when I'm filming. No videos, no, 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 uh, no pictures to after the shoot. No videos to after the shoot. Yeah, and so yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Go yeah. ahead. I'm trying to just build a catalog before I start putting them out and, and releasing them. And then once they start flowing, each person that I've interviewed, I'll let them know, hey, this is this is when it's about to drop. Word, word, word. Whatever, you know. So I just want to make I'm sure I do it correctly. Yeah, I just want to make I'm sure it's you. done right, you know. Exactly. So yeah. far, so good, brother. So far, so good. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Yes, Appreciate sir. it. So, so were you ever active into sports? Yeah, I actually uh basketball, man. That was the thing. Uh, when I made it to Dunbar, I made the all freshman squad. I was a hooper, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah I was a hooper. But my grades went to shit, man. I'm sorry, man. I mean to curse uh, on you. Uh, hey, we grown, we grown, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my grades went to shit and I got cut, man. Um I was in my freshman year. And uh, my hoop dreams died after that, man. I think I was with the Gangster Disciples the very next year. Okay. 
Uh, and, and was this all during the time while you were still staying over in Robert Taylor? Yeah, still staying in Robert Taylor's at the time, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Tell me, how was that? What was that like growing up in, in Robert Taylor? Oh man, um, man, you know that's that's a uh, man, man, bro. That's that's a great question. I, you know, I often think about it, and I still dream about it. You know, Robert Taylor Housing Project. You know, like I mentioned, was the most impoverished community in the nation, and I see what type of behavior patterns are produced from uh, from being in the, the most impoverished community. Um, I never had the, you know, the bully problems and stuff like that really, you know, but the narcotics, man, the drug trafficking, man, you know, you think about the heart of the 90s and, and going up to the, um, the new millennium and all that, I'm talking about from the crack era on up, man, I'm talking about it was prevalent, it was heavy, you yeah, know, it was, it was a lot of money out there, you know. I, I, yeah, I remember, having times where I would be down there with other people uh, and, and take visits and be able to see what was going on. And it was like a, a world unto itself, man. It was nothing like that. From there to Stateway or Cabrini Green, like all these places were like a world to themselves, man. Like, like they, they, they were. Like, they were. Mad buildings. Everybody, they there were. was all something totally different when, when you went, when I went over there. And I always looked at like, even though I grew up in, uh, I grew up in a decent area at one point, and I grew up in an area that wasn't so decent. But going there was something totally different. And I used to look at the guys that I was around that would be talking tough. I'm like, man, have y'all ever been down here where these guys be really rumbling at? Like, most of y'all won't even make it, man. And, and some of the stuff I seen was 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 totally eye opening, man. It, and it was it was it was kind of depressing at the same time to know that human beings were were living like that, and not that they wanted to be, but it was just because they were just left like that. No one, and it just kind of like abandoned and no one really, no yeah. one gave a shit what was going on at the time. Yeah. I knew it was real, man. When, um, I was eight years old and, um, see in my, in my, in my house, my house was a dope house. You know, my little brother, father sold heroin and, um, and, and syrup, what they call lean now. But back then it was just syrup, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, um, he was strung out on heroin. My mom was, and I remember I used to come home from school. Nobody was ever there. Mm. But I used to have this thing about being with my mother, even though she would tell me to go to my grandmother's house. And I went down to, um, I, there was this one particular day, man, when I went there and I waited for her outside all day. She found me sleeping in front of the door when she came. It was late. I would stay right there until my mother came home. And uh, she let me in the house and there was some level of depression that hit her. And um, she laid me down on the couch real nice and gently. And um, she went to the bedroom window and tried to leap, man, out the 11-story window. Wow. Tried to jump, man. And um, I don't know, it was just something, man, woke me up. And um, all the way to her grave, she always talked about that story of how I saved a life from suicide. Uh, that's what the heroin, um, the heroin, you know, you know, did to her. It took her life eventually, but... Um, I knew right then and there that my situation was real and it was different. But you know what, and I, I'm gonna say this, looking at the horrors in the community was so thick, it made me gravitate towards the television. The television was the only escape from the reality. Absolutely. And I would watch these shows of these privileged white kids, man, just living out these lives and like the Wonder Years and I can name so many other storylines that were going on and these kids were happy to have mothers and they had fathers. And I was mesmerized by it. So even though I was in housing project, I was living a fake reality through them. 
And that's what turned me into acting, I think. I think that that was what sparked me to want to escape my reality by performing and being something that I knew I wasn't. My situation was depressing. But watching Fred Savage and these characters on TV live this wonderful, peaceful life that always had a happy ending. Yeah, family I mean, ties and all those crazy shows. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. And, and it, it yeah. did, it did have an effect because I would be looking at that like, that seems pretty nice. But then when you go outside and you looking around at you know somebody getting shot or the ambulance showing up because somebody got beat after death or somebody got robbed or those different scenarios, you're like, yo, how do I get to that? Yeah, yeah, man. You know, yeah, and, I, and, and I understand I wanted, that because yeah. when you're sitting there watching it, you like, this is the escape. My reality is so much different from that. And it's so much harsher than what they could actually think of, you know? That's why yeah. often I think as I got older, bro, I think that's one of the things that kept me from watching TV, you know? Because uh-huh. even if when they were portraying the story of uh, being impoverished or gangster movies or whatever you want to call it, they weren't necessarily telling the, telling the facts, you know? It was all right, it was exactly. acting. It was acting. Right. Like, these guys weren't necessarily living... The, the the life that you knew to be true and you, cause you saw it every day. You yeah. saw how people interact with each other. You knew a lot of slick talking would get you hurt really bad. And the stuff that I would see on TV, like I was like, man, that's that's totally different from what I see out here when I leave, when I leave my house. But I understand it, it's acting and it's television and, and it's, it's playing, right? They're playing a role. But to me, that was one of the things that kind of turned me off. Cause I was like, my reality is so much, so much different than what they're saying on TV, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I, it's just funny just just thinking about that. Um, I got a drink of water because I have a stomach ulcer. So oh, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll pause real quick. We'll pause. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, so we back. We back, we back. Okay. Um, so I'm going to pick up real quick and say something else about the TV. The blessing of it is is that it caught your attention, right? And it gave uh-huh. you a, a realm of escape. But not just escape, it gave you a dream to, to, to strive for, right? Exactly. Exactly, it did, and and so, and and that's funny. I just had that reality of it hit me right now, and I'm glad I can have this reflection with you because I go hard, bro. I mean, as a filmmaker, I go so hard. It's like it's second nature. My life and my purpose does not feel like it's being fulfilled unless I'm film producing, and. And sometimes I I stop like Marcus. Why do you go so hard? Why do you do? Why do you have to be constantly writing? Or like I spent the whole quarantine writing. Why do you constantly have to be in front of the camera? This and that. It's like I see now. It's embedded. It started with TV, being in housing projects. You know we couldn't go outside all the time. So of course, you know Grandma don't want you out there in the wilderness. So we right there in front of the TV. And I knew the whole lineup. Every Monday through Friday, I knew what came on at what time, wow. and I would and, and I would sit there and I would just watch, and I would capture that Hollywood fantasy, and I would wear that thing to school. Mm. You should have saw me when a different when a different world was out. I had the glasses and everything, bro. I was Dwayne Wayne. You couldn't, me, you couldn't tell me I wasn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know, it's just one of those things. That, yeah, it's like they. They had a, um, it was always a happy ending. I don't care what the struggle was in the episode. There was always a happy ending. And I wanted a happy ending. 
you know yeah, but that was so that was some of our better cinema as far as african-americans indigenous black people whatever you want to call yeah. it a better cinema right there right that we had the portrayal thanks to bill cosby you know uh and, and yeah he had you know he gave us the he gave us a cosby show he gave us a different world and, and other shows like that were around that time and even in the cinematic realm where you had eddie murphy producing things that you know gave us a better showing you know we had those things to to want to uh conspire to be like and, and i appreciate those things as well and it's a good thing you were able to see that too because along the way i know for a fact that there were things that you were going through um that was way different and could have had a way different turnout than it actually did and it's crazy it shaped me it shaped me you know yeah. um i recall watching the wonder years no lie i would watch that show every week and as i was watching it i would see this voice talking in this kid's head and i was so connected to it i knew i wanted to be on television and it was just like a divine destiny that it wasn't no more than a year later within that year whirlwind happened and from whirlwind sherry mann happened she was one of the biggest cast and directors in chicago caucasian woman she discovered me and and it was just a year after me being mesmerized by all of this television, I look up, I was on television. Mm-hmm. It was unreal for me. And I just remember like, it just felt like it was supposed to happen. I didn't even force it. You know what I mean? Like I'm a kid, I'm a minor. My parents didn't take me down nowhere. But like, yeah, I want to put my son in movies or TV. It was none of that. I mean, of course I performed and I like the mimic and I like the, do drama and stage plays and all that, but it was just so ironic how during that time, I just would ease transition to being on that same network, ABC. Right. Bruce's place was on ABC. That was Oprah's first television series. On ABC, right after my favorite show that I had sat in front of the TV watching all of that time as my escape from the harsh realities and the projects, it was just, you know the young lady who brought you in do you still have a relationship with her she passed away um i um i came looking for her after my incarceration and um they told me that she was that she died um i enrolled in an acting school downtown back in 2006 and um and i and i asked the lady that runs her name is jane brody jane well jane brody is still writing jane brody is one of the biggest cast and directors as well in Chicago to this day. She works for DePaul, DePaul University now. But she got me the gig with Oprah. But um, Sherry Mann connected me with Jane Brody. Okay. So um, I, I asked um, the people, they still, they're still, they still exist downtown. They're like the biggest casting agency in Chicago, one of the biggest. And they told me when I enrolled in their classes that Sherry Mann had passed away. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I never got a chance to, uh, you know, really connect with her and thank her for what she did for, you know, little black kid like me from the project. Salute so. to her anyway for 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 getting you involved and helping you pursue the pursue the dream. Yeah, this is a Caucasian woman. Yeah, regardless, you know. And that, that that's my point. That's my point. Yeah, that's my point. This was a Caucasian woman. That's exactly my point. It didn't matter. Yeah. And, 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 and that's that's the that's the, 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 the look at where we different. Yeah, just looking at where we are now as a society, 
you know, that speaks volume for me, definitely. Yeah. 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 So I don't know how much you want to talk about it. Uh, you were involved in organized crime. Organized crime, yeah. Organized, organized crime. Organized crime. Nation. Yeah, you know, you can call it organized crime. You can call it mob affiliation, uh, mob ties. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, that was um, started at fourteen, man. Um, what got you into that? Um, being alone. Being alone and um, peer pressure a little bit, but more so being alone. I got to the point, um, my acting career started to fall off because of my mom and dad's addiction. Um, my dad was hustling and had, you know, drug issues, but not as bad as my mother. But they were divided and I was left, but my grandmother raised me and my grandmother had a house full of kids. Okay. She had DC kids through DCFS. She had my uncle's kids. She had um, um, my mother's kids, and she was just just had a lot on her. And then I remember during that time, um, I would constantly go on auditions as a minor downtown by myself for major motion pictures. And the Caucasian folk down at the casting directors they really liked me, but it got to the point where it's okay, Marcus. We need these documents signed. Mm -hmm. You're a minor. You're right. here to audition for a film, but you have no parental guidance to sign these documents. Yeah. And as much as they were pulling for me, you know, I, I lost so many roles because of my parents being absent. Like I was supposed to play Isaiah Thomas in the Isaiah Thomas story. And oh, Isaiah wow. was my, I remember I told you I played ball. Yeah. Isaiah was my idol, but they called me back. I was competing all over the US for this, you know, um, they kept calling me back. I mean, the kids that were auditioning from were, were from all over the U.S. And um, they told me, we have our little Isaiah, but there was one determining factor. Where are your parents? Wow. It got to the point where every agency uh, in Chicago, Gettys, all of these agencies, they caught on. I'm sorry, my phone went, okay. They caught on to the fact that I had no parent with me. And they, um, they stopped calling me. The so calls your, your grandmother is... is, is taking in all these kids is she staying in robert taylor too and robert taylor yes wow. i would get on the, yeah i would get on the state street bus by myself she'll give me money because she couldn't do it she has small kids okay. and i would get on the bus and i would go downtown and i would show up like a grown man and i would do these auditions and they were okay well we need these documents signed and nobody was there for me so i would do great at the auditions but there were limits there's only so much you can do with a minor on camera when their parents are not yeah, no. you still need the parental, and, uh, parental discretion. You need that yeah, uh, I, I lost the Isaiah Thomas story because of my mom and dad's addiction and um, so many other roles I lost. Okay. And from that point, I started to get depressed. And my grades went from A's to F's. And my conflict inside the house with my grandmother got thick. And I was a youngster dealing with the frustrations of not being able to go after my dreams because of my parents. Yeah. And from there, um, uh, my grandmother kicked me out because of the altercations we constantly had. And I had a best friend at the time. His mom let me come stay with them, but he was plugged. He was on the verge of being gangster disciple if he wasn't already. And how could I live in the same house with him and sleep in the same bed and not run with where he runs? Yeah. 
And yeah, and it led to, um, you know, it led to me, you know, getting plugged, man, getting blessed in. And um, because I had nowhere else to go. Yes, sir. And I always felt like if that happened to me as a straight A student, how much more susceptible would a kid be that probably wasn't as smart or probably wasn't as gifted? How much more susceptible would they be to becoming mob affiliated? Absolutely. That was the beginning. Yeah, that was the beginning of my end right there. Yeah. And and, and it, it changes a lot of like what you're saying. Uh, a kid that's getting A's and is on the cusp of doing something great can be snatched up like that. It's just as easier for a kid with B's, C's, D's, or F's to just be looking for respect or, or, yeah. or, or some sort of love to just be swept away into that type of culture and um, be lost forever or, or just have their mind changed in the way they uh, go about life and the way they live their life or the way that they're perceived by the neighborhood or, or their teachers at school, you know, because I know coming up with certain people, including myself, you're lashing out because you're looking for love, right? And it's yeah, all yeah, misplaced, yeah, misplaced, yeah. It's misplaced aggression. Yeah. You don't really know how to talk to people about what you're going, uh, what you're going through because uh, I know where the way I was taught was to just shut the hell up when I was feeling, when I had an emotion, right? When I wanted to talk about stuff, I was told to shut the hell up. So mm-hmm. being around guys who didn't mind letting me talk or let me fight through certain things, I, I gravitate, you gravitate to you gravitate to that. You know what I mean? It was it was an easier escape. You feel like people love you. You feel like people respect uh, respect you, and you feel like it's a place to really be. And and the whole time, not to disrespect nobody, but part of that is you're losing yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not really chasing. You're not really chasing after your dream. Uh, what is the what is the end goal to that? You know, for you, the the goal would have been to be an actor to be on the cusp of greatness, right? To get right there at that Isaiah Thomas role, but not be able to grasp hold of it because you're lacking the parental advisory or the parental, the guardian signing off on it, you know? And these are things that happen for people who don't understand. And some of them, they just grow up in it. It's just something that people just grow up in. Yeah, man, yeah. I can go even deeper, man. I had, um, I I got cast in uh, Eddie Murphy's first movie as a producer. Mm-hmm. It was called The Kid Who Loved Christmas. And uh, that film comes on every holiday. And there was a casting director there. He was uh, directing the film. His name was Arthur Allen Seidelman. Okay. He was huge. He liked me so much, man. He's like, uh, my mother wasn't there. She left, of course. Left me on set. And he was like, man, he was like, uh, I have so much work for you. Tell your parents to get you to L.A. All you have to do is come. I, I, and, I, and, I, and I got you. I'm going to take you under my wing when I get there. I took his card, and I remember I went home to the projects, to my bedroom door, and I wrote it, his information on the door because I didn't want to leave, lose it. I begged my mom. I begged my dad. I asked my grandmother. Of course, she, you know, she's from the South. She, not a highly educated woman at that time, and plus she had so much. She couldn't go anywhere. So um, I remember, man, the disappointment. All of those disappointments – turn to anger mm-hmm. it, 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 it just inflamed this this anger yeah. this vigorous anger in me that connected with the streets like hand and glove yeah you know what I mean yeah. and um, it, it felt like emotional, vengeance, right yeah it, it's emotional even thinking about it it still haunts me to this day yeah I, I, it, haunts I, I, me to, it, it haunts me to this day yeah 
it's that feeling of vengeance or you get, become vindictive and you, you you're searching for i gotta yeah. stop i need i need yeah. to show people you know and, and it becomes one of those things man and it's crazy because and, and, and like you said, like I, I get emotional about it, and, and it's certain things that the memories start to play out, right? Because you start feeling a certain way about it. But it's it's crazy how those things can kind of push you to do good, or they'll push you to do bad. Because I know for me now, as an older man, as a as a gentleman, uh, certain things that I did do, or certain things that happened to me, I use those to propel me to get my passions across. Whether it's it's music or if it's uh, doing a background singing or, or whatever it is that I work on, even doing this, I know I know what I want to do. And I know I, I'm mm -hmm. trying to prove, prove a point in doing it, you know? And, it's, and when, I, when I do it, I know, I, I know I'm driven to do these things. So I definitely understand, man. I just wish that uh, during those times for you and, and for others, whether they're on the East Coast, the West Coast, Midwest, wherever, wherever they are, I just wish there was a, a medium to get them to a certain level and then make sure that they didn't just plateau or fall off but that they continue to excel and get to a pinnacle or apex you know yeah man definitely i definitely definitely feel that yeah man like i said very very emotional topic just thinking about it yeah. i'm in my shit i had to say a prayer about it you know every now and then like i have that haunting feeling and i and i know the voice of god is real I was uh, leaving my apartment one day in Chicago some years back and I just asked God why. I went to the deepest pits of my soul and I asked God like why? Because this is after seven and a half years incarcerated, you know, the chain of events that took place after that was all dark. And I was like, Lord, why didn't I, why didn't you allow circumstances to favor me to really take off during that moment? And he's, the only thing he said was this was, it was not the time. Hmm. And and um, it was similar to that voice I heard the first day I got incarcerated when I was 18. And I asked God why. And he told me it was the only way. And I know it was my higher power. I don't know what people call their higher power, but I know that voice was so strong. It vibrated in my ears. It was like no other voice existed. I was in my cell. It was dark. It was cold. My cellmate didn't speak English. And I was balled up, 18 years old. I was cold. I was crying. And I was praying. I was like, I asked God why. I thought about all the chains of events that led me to incarceration. Because keep in mind, this is 18-year-old, an 18-year-old. Yeah. I was 14 when I became homeless. Four years is like this, man. And four years of making hundreds of thousands of dollars in the streets and doing all this bad stuff. And boom, 18, I'm locked up. I was still a kid. So I shared that those, those adolescent tears came out. And he said, it was the only way. And um, I was able to do all of my incarceration time from that one voice. I went through it encouraged knowing that he was covering me. Yeah. That, that one statement, it was the only way, gave me the courage to walk it out. I knew I was going to be okay. I hadn't got sentenced yet. I had a million dollar bond, but I was able to walk it out, you know? Yeah. A million dollar bond. What was it that happened that landed you in jail? Uh, I caught attempt murder, aggravated kidnapping, home invasion, aggravated battery with a firearm, unlawful restraint, armed violence. That's just one case. 
And then I had um, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I had a um, attempt murder, um, armed robbery. That was a separate case. Okay. So, um, you know, I got locked up for the latter, the, the the first one. I that one came first, and while I was incarcerated, and it was crazy. I caught the one case while I was on the run for the attempt murder armed robbery. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was in deep, man. Yeah. I was in deep. I was in deep. I became a habitual stick-up artist. Um, I didn't just rob broke people. I robbed big-time drug dealers, smugglers, people that came across seas with fresh big statements. Yeah. You know, I was looking to rob people that had hundreds of thousands of dollars in narcotics because in the streets, I was already generating tens of thousands of dollars at my own establishment. Yes, I didn't even I didn't even need to rob anybody, but it was just a simple fact that the first time I did it, it was so easy. Invigorating, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I was like, okay. I mean, I hit for three hundred thousand dollars like that, and I'm like, okay, man, I could do this again. Then I you know, so I went I went yeah. All these stars are kicking. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, instead of me spending two weeks under the building trying to generate a hundred racks, man, I could just go take this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And boom, you know what I mean? And I had a bunch of thirsty, hungry guys around me that are now currently doing life in prison. Ready to go, they was ready to go. Yeah, they doing life now, man. All of, all of my rappers, they they doing life, man. They, yeah. uh, they never got out, you know what I mean? Wow. So, yeah, you know. During your incarceration, did you, did you start writing or doing any scripts at the time? Yeah, it was, it was funny. I, um, I started writing because it's funny. I just reflected on this. I would be around the OGs in the chow hall or at these in the day room watching TV. We in maximum security prison. They would ask me these questions and all this, and I'll tell them my background. A lot of people knew me from the streets already from, um, you know, I had a big operation out there. So when I got incarcerated, everybody was kind of, um, What's the word I'm looking for? They gravitated towards me. They were kind of mesmerized by my stature because I was a young, you know, I was the guy that I had it and I was running my own project building. And they would ask me, you know, about my back, you know, my background and all that. And you had a few people that knew, you know, man, that's short. Short played on TV with Oprah and Blase Blah and all that. So people naturally gravitated towards me for conversation. So I would sit there smoking a cigarette you know, telling my story. And every time I told my story, people were like, man, you need to write a book. You need to write a book, man. You need to write a book. You need to write a book. My cellmates, oh man, you need to write a book. So I started writing the book on lockdown. I was reflecting on my life because to me it was a crazy roller coaster and an amazing story of how you go from being at the top of your game as a child actor, getting your own money to being one of the biggest drug dealers in Bronzeville on the low end on State Street to having a million dollar bond and being incarcerated. Um, it happened so fast. So I started just writing all of the document and all this information. And um, I brought the notes home with me. And when I made it home, I set them to the side. I got married when I got out, I remember. And I had a very supportive wife at the time. 
she was, we were high school sweethearts, but we had been together since we was 13 and 11. So we called ourselves, you know, dating since then. So she was so much support. She was like, yeah, you know, you know, write the story. And so I, I remember I sat down at the kitchen table and I started writing it as a movie. I transferred the book material and I transferred it into a movie script. And um, we wound up divorcing shortly after. And for me, therapy was finishing that story. And that's when I went back to acting school in 06. And um, once I saw the politics and the acting realm in Chicago, as far as the industry go, I had dreads at that time. I said, I gotta do this myself. So I took that script and boom, called it Vulture City. And um, man, that's just history, history, man. Life, life changed, life changed forever. <laughs> Yes, yeah, life changed. I remember yeah. we would, me and you, would sit around and chat. Um, no matter where we were, I think one of the oh things, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And it, there was so much that we had in common, you know. I, 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 that oh I yeah, oh yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, some of it was revealed to me uh, by watching the first Vulture City, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there watching it. And I'm looking at it like some of this is very similar. <laughs> you know, right. I remember the crazy part of it was because we had sat around and talked about a lot of that stuff. I was like, yo, at this age, like I had a girlfriend who was, you know, she she died, such and such and such. And we were going over and he was like, yo, yeah, check out, check out my mom. I don't know what did it. We just clicked instantly, man. We I just remember we were just sitting there and we frequent the same spot. And before I knew it, man, we just it was like magnet. Yeah, right. yeah, and we we was good. At, we was good at ever since then, and I think it was just it was just genuine energy because I think as as young black men, we we are dedicated to art, right? We are dedicated to what we love, and and for you, that's part of your art. My art is is in different ways, whether it's rapping or whatever it may be, or drawing or whatever it is. So very good rapper, by the way. I appreciate that. I appreciate yes, that. Um, yes, sir. Salute, but um. It's, it's, it's those things that brought us together, but not just those, the, the genuine, the genuine feel of being able to talk to somebody openly and, and yeah. as men have an understanding of, I know who I am. I know what I've been through. You know what I mean? So I don't mind sharing my story with someone. Uh, if it, right. it's not to share it with them to make them afraid or make them feel sorry, but it's to let them know that I'm able to talk about my life and I'm not, I'm not afraid of who I am or what I, or what I've become. Because this is my story, right? This is my experience. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So uh, I think those were the things for me, you know, just being able to talk openly and speak and, and, and being able to share these instances that we have in common. It was just like a correlation. It was just like talking to talking to my brother. You know what I mean? Word. Yeah. And I thought I was like, yo, bro, you you like a brother to me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, yes, sir. See, every time I see you and we out, we discussed yes, whatever that we may be doing, you know? And it was always genuine love. Yeah, always, always. Yeah, and yeah, I always, always appreciated that. Even at times where I, I could tell, I was like, yo, he, he angry today. I'm going to go over here and talk to him. <laughs> Especially when you had the dreads, I was like, I'm going to go over here and say something to him. Right, right, yeah. I yeah, could see man. the chip on your shoulder. I was like, he, he, yeah. he, 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 yeah. he You know, that, that was, I think the spot that we frequent was my winding down or trying to pull everything together moment. I miss that, man. I really do. Oh my God, I miss that. I haven't had that in a long time. Really? Just to, yeah, just to, you know, 
go sit down at a spot where everybody knows your name. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah that was a good feeling. <laughs> you know, and you're right, and just go sit down and um and have a um, have a little cocktail and and reflect. Yeah, shoot, watch shoot. the game, watch, you know, watch the game, the game yeah. and just uh, have some healthy dialogue, man. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. On the south side of Chicago too, you know, like in the, you know on the south side of Chicago, and man. That was that, I, I really missed that. For those who don't know about our city, there are places on the south side, uh, in different areas and different pockets of the south side of the city, where you can actually go and have a good time and not worry about nothing. Perception um, mm -hmm. is that we shoot up everything or, or the black folks or you got these Negroes or these niggas out here shooting up everything. And it's not the actual truth that does happen, but those happen right. where these kids are impoverished. They don't have nothing. And they're trying to make the best out of the situation that they're in. So it's easier for them in those areas to gravitate towards violence and, 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 and crime. But there are still pockets as well on the South side or the West side or the East side, where you can go and just have a good time and nothing will happen to you. Yeah, man. Not, yeah. Those who have yeah. been to the South side to one day venture out. If you don't know nobody, especially you from out of town or, or you Caucasian or European, whatever you may call yourself, and you want to venture out, get with some cool people. We'll, we'll, we'll move you around and you'll love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's real, man. It's like, it's, it's, um, it's all good, but it ain't all bad. I think no, that's it's not. And one of the things that also happened, as you can um, attest to, is once they tore down all the project buildings, is they that they start uh, intermingling people from the projects with, with other places in the city that already established gang territories, right? So you got people from Robert Taylor who may end up in an area where it's vice lords or solid foes or something like that. And it causes frictions because these guys got a set of rules over here already. And these guys are coming up with the mentality of we ready to take whatever's in the way. You know, mm -hmm, yeah, a true, lot of that true. was part of the problem as well. And it's a sad situation that most brothers can't get along or have an understanding of where each other are and fix those situations so that something can be done uh, on, a, on, a, on a certain level, you know. But Yeah, you know, yeah. We're dealing with a whole nother element. Yeah. Yeah. It comes in the form of appeal. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, people ask why are the murders and things that take, well, it's always been heinous murders in Chicago, but it's, it's, it's everything is, it used to not have a conscious, of course, but now it's like even more, it's just unconscious way of just going about executing crime and murders. And here's like what happened downtown. We're hearing about stuff that we don't normally hear about. You know, somebody getting killed on Oakin State, you know, like the rapper FGB Duck did, you know, um, rest in peace to him. And um, it, it's funny, you know, I tell people all the time, people wonder why they're shooting on expressways and this and that. I'm like, man, they pop a pill, they become 10 times more courageous and numb, and they execute. And uh, all it takes is the thought when you offer those pills, it's very impulsive. And we didn't have, that you know it was you know gin and juice you know what i'm saying or a, a stick of weed or something like that we don't make you want to murder we make you want to go to sleep yeah. so it's like the narcotics that they own now it numbs them and then the culture is so it's a murder culture in chicago yeah and yeah. Uh, it used yeah. to be a, a, a hustling culture 
Yeah. You murdered if it came down to, to hustle it. and discipline. Yeah, exactly. You know, it used to be get money, but it, okay, if they get out of line, we got to do this, but we don't want to mess up our money. So let's call peace. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that used to be the priority, but it's like now they ain't getting no money. You know, or they scamming. They ain't got to hit the block and hustle a week for it. They can just run a fake credit card and bada boom, bada bing. Yeah. You know, spend the rest of their time thinking of somebody to kill. So it's it's yeah, just a totally it's a different situation because I've yeah. talked to uh, certain guys and uh, not all of them, but certain ones that I do speak to. Uh, the money that they are making out here through what they call a hustle is something that they could actually make if they had got, got a decent job if they work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, it's it's it's, so, it's deeply rooted in what's going on in the household. So it's like you know. Um, the mothers, you know, we're dealing with the type of mothers in our communities that was attracted to hot boys that did fast things. Absolutely. And they pretty much, I don't want to say groom their young men, especially if they're in a single parent household, they condone um, the behavior that mimics the type of guys that they like. Yeah. And you have a youngster only seeing that image and coming up in the ranks of that. And I'll go even deeper. We know how a lot of single black mothers talk about the, um, the ratchet ways of a black man. Oh, fuck that nigga this, this nigga bitch ass nigga now. You got a son that's hearing this all day as he's growing up and developing into a man. When he steps out into society, he has no love for a man because in his household, you know, the next man was already demonized. So to kill him is like second nature because he was never taught to love another black man. That's right. That's right. That's, 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 it's like, that's like, it's so heavy and thick embedded in the mindset and the DNA of the people, the young boys that are being bred yeah. in the streets of Chicago. And then the and, other and, part of yeah. it, the other part of it, let's not just forget that there are those who mothers aren't there because they are strung out or, you know, they're being raised by their granny and they're taking advantage of granny in, in, in certain situations as well. So exactly. um, it's, exactly. not, it's not it's not it's not the best situation in the world. And I hope that anybody who is listening or gets a chance to hear it, please understand that I don't condone or provoke any type of violence at all. You know, I will only use violence and self-defense of my family. That's it. If it's me, I'll let you I'll let you get away with a zone you don't put your hands on me. All right. But Violence is, is, is a very, it's a very dangerous and destructive thing, destructive thing um, that, that's being used. And a lot of the young guys that we see using it, man, they don't have any other outlet because a lot of the programs that we used to have growing up don't exist as well. All right. You don't have a lot of after school programs. You don't have a lot of park activities that these guys could um, migrate to to kind of get them out of the streets. You know what I mean? So. There's so many different narratives and, and stories to be told that in the black community, we're lacking so much and, and, and you want to be able to help, but there's only so much you can do when, when there's drugs, there's not narcotics, there's um, lack of parenting, there's lack of uh, proper schooling, you know, again, food deserts. I talked about that before. The food, the nutrition is just bad. You know, there's so many things that I happen against uh, 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 black people that it, it's very hard for people to kind of get themselves in a position where they can succeed. You know, um, not everybody had a dream like you. Not everybody had a dream like me. 
at one point my dream was just to get the hell out, get the hell out of everybody way. You know what I mean? And I still kind of like, <laughs> I've done that, you know, by way of, of many, many different uh, facets and hustles. But um, a, a lot of people don't have a dream, man. You know, some people never been as far as downtown, bro. You yeah. Know, that's, a, that's a realization. Like some people never been as far as downtown. Showing people another state or another city is something totally different. It's, it's, it's a foreign concept to them, you know. Um, what they are seeing on TV kind of paints their narrative for them, that they should fuck bitches, get money, drive foreign cars, um, and, and live like rock stars or whatever. And these are, these, are, these are false narratives because they don't understand the people that are living these are either leasing these cars, they're renting, or that's just a lifestyle that they have worked very hard for to obtain. And to anybody who was also listening, for anything in life, just like Marcus Carruthers or myself, you have to work hard to achieve anything. And this is a key thing, man. It's like, you know, you hit, you hit something that was extremely key. We have a system of strong, we can call them prominent people that own media. Yes, sir. They own the media, the visuals, and the things that we hear and see on a daily. And they know what's causing detriment to our youth. Yes, sir. But yet, that's what they look for. If you remember when um, Chief Keith was popping, you know, when he first came out, so to speak, once they signed him, there was a chain reaction of artists being signed during the drill era in Chicago that had the similar or same message because it was, it was selling. Yeah. They didn't care about the fact that it was causing detriment to us and, it was, and the wars that we had going on in Chicago, that it was real game banging going on. And I go even deeper even with the way black women are being portrayed on VH1. I mean, there's nobody black that owns VH1. There's nobody at the head of that committee. That's some super duper rich white guy that came up with a, a, a media outlet that appeals to black people that portrays us as extremely ratchet, baby mamas, rappers that can't, uh, they got few, a few different baby mamas that argue, that fight. They use the negative aspects of the black community to broadcast it to the world. Now, we wonder why we get treated a certain way when we're out in public or looked at a certain way. They only see us as the images they see on television. Correct. And the kids the same. They pattern their, their lifestyle behind the imagery that these Jews or these Caucasians that own these big media outlets allow us to be portrayed in a certain manner. And it's the influence. Yeah. They can find it on their phones now, on Instagram, YouTube, so on and so forth. That's you know right. what I mean? So... They know what causes detriment on us. It's a very, very demonic way of continuous to cause havoc on our community. Yes, sir. I'm gonna grab my charger because I didn't. Hold on one second. Hold on. Let me. I'm gonna pause. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, you good, bro. I'm gonna um, pull a 